Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Crush Hail Academy podcast. I am your host, Bob Argyle, and in today's episode, we are going to discuss the topic of non-negotiables and how identifying your non-negotiables, whether that be inside of your professional or personal life, can help you to achieve clarity and move on in confidence. So sit back and relax and welcome to today's episode. So good morning, everybody, and happy Friday. It's Friday. What a beautiful Friday it is, too. And uh, today, I'm wrapping up a very long week. I was just going through my mileage for the week, and I'm well over a 1,000 miles already for this week. This week, I found myself in Johnstown, Gloversville, Oneonta, Seneca Falls, North... Syracuse and surrounding Syracuse, obviously, as that's my kind of my home base. Um, Utica, Hamilton, I've been all over the place, um, but I love it. It's what I do, and I love it. And I think today I'm probably going to put on another couple hundred miles. Today I'm heading out to Utica and finishing my day out in Cobleskill, New York. I'm going to be visiting uh, WHB Collision. And, uh, it's one of my favorite shops. The guys there, just an absolute trip. Actually, the owner of WHB, uh, Will, is a, a fairly young man. I think he's in his uh, mid to late 20s, and he's built a beautiful business out there. Huge, state-of-the-art body shop. And, uh, you know, he's really an example of just, uh, you know, one of the shops out there doing things the right way. And uh, his work is amazing very high quality shop so um, I always enjoy going out there because they love to bust my chops the entire time I'm there so I figured uh, what better way to end up my week than uh, with Will and the guys at WHB Collision in Cobleskill so given that I've had such a long week this is this especially in the summer months this tends to be what I do Uh, we're a hail company and we need to cover as much geographical area as possible because as I've said before, the, the larger area in New York State that I have solid relationships in, the better chance I have of landing the hail when we get the storms that come through or roll through in the summertime. So it's kind of a necessary evil, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense for me to be a quote hail company but only have relationships in Syracuse, New York. So a lot of my time in the summer is spent literally just driving all over the countryside because I have to keep the shops happy. Shops have emergencies, so if I'm not coming through for them every single time, why on earth would they use me for a massive hail situation? All right, they need to have that trust there. And the way I build that trust is by coming through for them every single time. So this week I've covered a lot of area and um, it's caused me to think about this whole topic of non-negotiables. And this is a topic that's front and center inside of our warrior group right now. So um, this is a topic that I have been spending a lot of time on, um, not only professionally, but 
personally too, with some of my personal relationships, identifying non-negotiables, all right? The things that we hold dear to our hearts, whether that's uh, inside of a personal relationship or as we're identifying clients that we wanna deal with um, and how important it is to have these non-negotiables identified. So you wanna find, um, I'm, I'm really gonna talk about this professionally today, um, not so much in the, in the personal side of things, but um, really professionally finding the right clients and listing your non-negotiables. You need to identify things that are, what I guess a quote deal breaker for you. With me, some non-negotiables, really kind of concerning my trainer that I use right now, John, um, I had some non-negotiables going into this relationship. When I was looking for a trainer to work with, there were certain things that I needed, certain things that I knew about myself that I had to make sure I was going to get from whatever trainer I went with, all right? First, uh, I needed to have the ability to start my training early. I needed, to, I'm, I'm an early riser, I'm up at four, my day starts at eight, so I need I needed somebody that was going to be able to meet with me at 5.30 in the morning. That was a non-negotiable for me because I know personally I will not, usually at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just dead tired. I know that I'm not going to go to the gym at the end of the day. Uh, for me, I might go out and do a little run or a walk or something like that at the end of the day, but um, I am not going to go hit it hard at the gym. Um, in the morning is when I'm most fired up. It's when I have the most energy. So that's just when I like to do it. And if I'm cutting a check to a trainer, this is something that was very important to me. So that was one of my non-negotiables. Um, I also needed somebody that was going to push me, that was gonna hold me accountable. They were gonna be a good teacher. Um, somebody that had the ability to call me out on my bullshit. Um, and you don't necessarily get that from every trainer out there, right? Um, it's kind of like in, in every business. Some guys are just out there for the check. So I had to meet with the trainers and I had to really find somebody that I connected with and I identified with and, um, and make sure that my non-negotiables were being met. Relationships is a big one, whether that's a romantic relationship or just an, another personal relationship in your life. Your non-negotiables need to align. So you need to make sure that your non-negotiables are being met, but you also have to make sure that you're spending your time with somebody or you're investing in somebody that um, you're meeting their non-negotiables. And that's not always an easy thing to do. And then inside of business. So really inside of business, I've identified uh, two different areas. So you've got your, your non-negotiables that you're gonna have with your clients. Okay, and then you're also going to have your non-negotiables, a list of non-negotiables for your strategic partners, um, your employees, uh, your subcontractors, people that you work with, people that you choose to invite into your business, all right? There's setting a list of non-negotiables as far as they are concerned is going to serve to provide you the clarity, but it's also going to um, serve to kind of hold them accountable. Like they're going to know what is expected of them. So my history with non-negotiables, uh, for a very long time, I would pretty much do business with anybody. I was in that hustle mode, um, kind of a scarcity mindset, not an abundance mindset. So um, if you had a job and you had the money, I wanted your money. And I didn't really um, screen the clients. 
they would call and I would go. And then I found over time, as I was dealing with, back then I was dealing with some dealerships and I was dealing with some body shops. And over time I started to realize the importance of, of pre-screening. And where this really helped me identify one big flaw in my business model, um, by establishing non-negotiables, what do I truly want with my clients? What do I want for my clients and what do I want from my clients? It, ident it helped me to identify, uh, I guess, a certain client that I no longer wanted to target. And it really wasn't anything personal. It was just as far as my business went and building a long-term sustainable business model, I found over time that dealerships were no longer a fit for that business model. And really for a couple reasons. Again, nothing personal against dealerships, but I found with dealerships there really wasn't a heck of a lot, a lot of uh, loyalty there. I would spend a lot of time, I'd spend years and years working for dealers and I'd get uh, with one specific dealership and I would build a really strong relationship with that general manager or that sales manager and then one day I would show up and all of a sudden he was gone. He had been shit canned. <laughs> so there goes my contact in that dealership and I would find myself constantly starting over again and building a new relationship. And a lot of times what would happen is the new general manager would come in or the new sales manager and they had their own company that they were using. They didn't even know me. So for me, I identify that this wasn't a very good client for me to target because the, the constant turnover and the lack of that loyalty um, and how they kind of looked at me as a commodity. I was replaceable. Um, I wasn't viewed as an asset for that business. So what I did was I fired most of my dealer clients. Now the one exception to this is the dealers that I had a personal line of communication to the decision maker or the owner. More times than not, this is the owner of the dealership. If that was a relationship that was intact and was in place, I felt fairly confident that this was going to be a relationship that was going to be sustainable. I was going to be able to manage this over the long term. So if I didn't have those relationships with the owners, um, those were the dealers that I kind of just cut out. They no longer were a fit for my business. So then what I started to do now that I had identified that body shops were really the, the client that I wanted to put all of my effort into. And the reason I wanted to do this with the body shops was, um, number one, I want the hail business. So when hail hits, they go to the body shops. They don't go to a dealership more times than not. Unless you have the, uh, unless the dealership has a body shop, um, if you get a hailstorm that comes through town, these claims are going to go to the body shop. So it only made sense for me to have the relationships with the body shops. But the thing I really liked about body shops is that that personal connection was there. Uh, many of them are, are family owned and operated, second, third, fourth generation. Um, more times than not, I was dealing with the owner of the business. So that was a safer bet for me. So for a while I had gotten, you know, I got rid of the dealers, most of the dealers and I started focusing on the body shops. But over time, I started to realize that I needed to whittle that down even more. 
being a hail company, for a while, we got caught up in this whole idea of wanting to do business with the big regional chains. Because again, it's all about real estate. It's all about location. So if we could go in and have some meetings with a 11, 12, 15 store regional chain and have a good meeting, then all of a sudden we had possibly 15 new locations. So it was very easy for us to secure, in our minds at the time, it would be much easier for us to secure a lot more real estate with less effort. So we started focusing, at, like up here, here in New York, you have the Carubas and you have the New Looks, which were two chains that we identified as um, you know, shops that we wanted to do business with. The Caruba chain at one time, uh, towards the end, before they got bought out, they were, I wanna say 30, 35 locations uh, from Buffalo all the way to Albany. And for us, that was like a home run because we had our other shops, but this was really gonna fill in, in my opinion, this would fill in our area very nicely with some very high-end um, locations. And same with the new look. But here's how the, Here's how the whole Karuba thing went down. So we spent the better part of a year, and we had done business with Karuba in the past with some of their different stores um, during hail, different hail events. And we had started to have some meetings, and we were talking with the owner, and things seemed to be like heating up for us. Like he was open to the idea of a partnership with us. Um, he liked what we brought to the table. He liked, he liked the systems and the processes and all that stuff. And these bigger chains, that's what they're big on, right? So you can't operate a 35-store chain unless you're big on systems and processes. So it was kind of a good fit for us. And I remember this was, I don't know, maybe not even a year ago. We had a meeting coming up with Joe Caruba. And... We were feeling really, really good about this meeting, and we were I was pretty much convinced I was just gonna go in and this was gonna be the final meeting, and we we're gonna lock these guys up and we were gonna just add 35 stores to our client list. Well, I get a call from an insurance partner of ours who had been kind of working to get us in front of Joe for this final meeting. He says, Hey, sorry to tell you, but has <laughs> just been bought. And I was like, ooh. Okay, well, that kind of sucks because what that did for us as a smaller regional company was all of a sudden that all that business no longer is an option for us because they were bought out by a large MSO, uh, Gerber, and Gerber has a national company that they use. So what you'll find is like Gerber will use us um, for a hail car that shows up unannounced or um, even the smaller PDR repairs, they'll use us. But as soon as a major hail event comes in, again, they have systems. They wanna use one company to service all 600 of their stores throughout the country. So we don't get invited to that party. And the same thing happened with New Look. I remember we had been working on this meeting. I find myself sitting in front of the owner one day. This was just this past winter. And I'm going through the, the presentation and I'm talking to him a little bit about what we bring to the table. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this dude is just checked out, man. He is checked out. Like, he was very pleasant. He was very nice. Um, but he was kind of just going through the motions. 
And I remember walking out of that meeting and I said to myself, I said, this company is in the process of being bought out <laughs> right now. Because this dude was basically just there taking the meeting, going through the motions. And sure enough, I think it was uh, maybe four or five months later, we find out that the New Look chain had been bought out by a national player as well. So all of a sudden, that opportunity is gone because they are gonna have the same situation now as well. We might be able to get some business here and there, but the party, the Super Bowl, that we wanna get invited to, which is a hail event in the Rochester, New York area, um, is no longer an option for us because they have a national player that they're gonna start using. So what these experiences helped me to identify was that no longer were the big regional chains a client that I wanted to target because it didn't make sense for me to put all this time and effort and investment into these shops knowing that they're never going to use me anyway. I could have a great relationship with the local management, but as soon as a hail event strikes that area, they're going to be trumped and this national player is going to come in, this national PDR company is going to get invited in and it's not, it's just no longer like an ideal client for me. So that helped me to realize that I had to whittle it down even further to where I am today. And this has allowed these experiences, um, going through the motions and, and getting burnt a few times inside of the dealer arena, and then getting burnt a few times inside of the, the collision arena, has served to help me identify what my non-negotiables are. Our ideal clients, the shops we wanna do business with, these are my non-negotiables. First and foremost, I, I want a smaller family-owned body shop. Second, I want a good reputation in the, in the community because a good, solid reputation in the community tells me that I'm not going to have any payment issues. <laughs> if they have a long-term reputation for being fair, for being a, a well-run business, that tells me they have an appreciation for paying their bills on time. And the last thing I wanna do in a hail event where we are literally racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue in a few short months at one shop, the last thing I want is an issue with payment because all of a sudden I'm starting to fear for my life if I cannot pay my technicians on time. This is how they support their families. And if I have a technician in a shop that's doing that kind of volume, I need to be able to pay him in a timely manner. So if that shop is not paying me or if they don't have an appreciation for paying me and understand that I need to pay my tax on time so my tax continue to do work for them, then they are not a shop that I wanna work with. So I need to have I need to target the shops that have a good reputation in the local community. Third, they need to be open-minded to our process. You've heard in some of my past episodes about uh, the nightmares that I had with some other shops that were not open-minded to what we bring to the party. Not open-minded to our systems and our processes and how this creates conflict. I'm not saying it's got to be our way or the highway, but a shop that has a, an appreciation for the systems and the processes that we bring to the table 
is is going to be um, it's it's just a better bet for me. And last, they need to have a healthy respect for the service that we bring. I don't want to be just a commodity to a body shop. And more times than not, with body shops, they're in the craft, right? So they have an appreciation for what we do. So this isn't this doesn't tend to be an issue so much for me or um, for our company, but. If they don't have an appreciation for what we do, if we aren't looked at as an asset to their business, if we're looked at, a, at as a commodity, um, replaceable, um, that is not a good fit. It's just not a good fit for my business. When I'm going out for pre-marketing season, I utilize this list of non-negotiables. Family owned and operated, I need to have a direct line of communication to the decision maker, to the bill payer, to the owner. No dealership body shops. Just doesn't work because the same thing happens. Lots of turnover, so we spend a lot of time um, you know, putting all our eggs in, in one guy's basket and then I show up one day and he's gone and we are rebuilding. So it's just not a good fit for us. Good reputation equals I get paid on time, open-minded to our system and respects our service and our pricing. So they're not always beating me up on the price. I give them a price, I give them a fair price. I don't wanna to have to beg and plead for that, that money every time I do the job for them. So I, um, kind of a funny story. I just had an experience this past week that kind of sums this up nicely. So I got a buddy that works for a very nice used car dealership in the Syracuse area. Beautiful inventory very well-run business and the guy that's on the inside that's working for this company um, I've known him for a number of years and um, he's called me probably over the past I don't know four or five months he calls me every once in a while when the company that was in there when he moved to this dealership passes on something or doesn't show up or choose a den up and he needs me to come in and fix it um, I'll go in and I'll take care of it, but I've been totally fine with just letting them continue to use this other company because I cannot go in there and I cannot spend four, five, six hours in one day every single week to walk the guy's lot and to fix all of his cars. It just does not fit for my business model. Because I'm all over the state of New York, because I'm putting fires out all, all over the place, I'm not in one spot very long. But recently he called and he said, look, I need you to come in and I want you to take a look at the latest dent that this other company passed on. And while you're here, I want you to meet the owner. So I was like, you know what? This kind of meets one of my non-negotiables. So to me, I was like, this at least uh, justifies me going in and having this meeting because this is I'm meeting the owner so that knocked out at least my first non-negotiable if I can have a direct line of communication with the owner um, it's worth me going in and at least having this meeting so I go in and I'm meeting with the guy and I take a look at the dent and he starts to tell me what like the issues are that he's having with the other company um, just not reliable, not really putting in the effort, not really fixing the big stuff, kind of cherry picking, that sort of stuff. Um, we talked about the dent that he wanted me to fix. I gave him a price on that. And then he started telling me about what his 
non-negotiables were. Some of his non-negotiables were, he wants me there every single week and he wants me to walk his lot. Another non-negotiable that he had was my price was too high. So he wasn't comfortable paying my price that I get. He wants to pay, he wanted me to match what his guy was currently charging him. And even on this dent that they called me on, I looked at the dent and I said, look, I'm highly confident that I can fix this dent. However, to do this job right, I need to sit here for three hours. This is how much I need for this job. And it was higher than he wanted to pay. So I was outside of his non-negotiables. So after we got done talking about that dent, I told him, look, I appreciate, I'm flattered that you called me up here. I'm appreciative um, for you taking the time to talk to me, but I am going to respectfully decline because in my mind, what he was asking for out of me, which he had a right to ask for, he has a right to his own non-negotiables. But in my mind, I realized that we were not a fit. I could not promise this guy that I would be there on a weekly basis. I could not promise him that I was gonna be able to walk his inventory and I definitely was not going to match the price that he wanted. And it ended up with us having a very good conversation. By the end of it, we both respected the other person's position. We were joking a little bit and we were talking about personal life and stuff towards the end of it. And we left that meeting, both of us feeling respected. I didn't feel like I lost. I walked away saying, this was not a good fit for me. And so did he. He walked away saying this was not a very good fit for him because I could not meet his non-negotiables. And you tend to see this in any type of different business. Use my dad for an example. My dad is a tavern owner, okay? My dad has a band list in his bar. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's a list of people that have either bounced checks to him or have acted up inside of his, his bar and he does not want to take their money anymore. He's in business to take people's money, but he doesn't want to take their money. So my dad's non-negotiable list is he wants clients that are gonna be respectful to his staff. He wants clients that are gonna respect his property. He doesn't want clients that are gonna be in there throwing beer bottles and starting fights with the other patrons. He doesn't want clients that are gonna be there not obeying the smoking rules, that are sneaking cigarettes in the bathroom. He's got non-negotiables with his employees, very simple. Don't steal. Don't give away free drinks to your friends. Don't call in at the last minute and leave him hanging. All right, so you can see how this can apply to anybody's business. And a lot of times we're guilty of thinking with our heart. And what I've found is more times than not, my heart might tell me one thing, right? Use my dad for an example. My dad might have a patron that's caused trouble in the past. His heart is telling him, ah, I had a talk with this person and they understand and they're a good person. They just had a bad night. They had too much to drink, whatever. But his gut might be aligning with his non-negotiables. His gut is telling him, this guy's gonna do something again. This guy's gonna mess up. This guy's gonna have too much to drink again. This guy's gonna be disrespectful to my staff. Same thing with me. 
when I'm meeting with a new client, my heart might be telling me, man, this guy is a nice guy. He seems like a really good dude. But as I'm walking around and I'm taking a look at his business, I'm noticing that it's disorganized. I'm noticing that it's messy. And to me, my gut is aligning with my non-negotiables. My gut is telling me that I'm probably going to have a payment issue. So my gut is going to keep me in line with my non-negotiables. Take my subcontractors, for example. Once I identified my non-negotiables with my clients, I had to identify my non-negotiables with my subcontractors, the people that I put in my body shops. I used to have one non-negotiable. Ready for this? High quality work. That was it. That's all I required for a long, long time out of my tax. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know if they were good character guys. I would ask, how long has he been fixing dents? How long have you been doing dents? Oh, I've been doing dents for 20 years. You're hired. This guy's probably a very good dent guy. And more times than not, he'd be a good dent guy. And this wasn't with everybody, but more times than not, I would find out further down the road, the guy was stealing from me, the guy was flipping shops from me. So I had to kind of continue to build my list of non-negotiables. And nowadays, I ask any tech that comes in to work with me to sign a non-compete contract. And my non-compete basically tells them, it holds them accountable, it lets them know what I expect of them, and it lets them know what they can expect of me. And I have them sign this. I used to deal with handshakes. That was it. Please don't screw me over. Oh, okay, I'm a good dude. Okay, you're hired. That was it. So now I have all of my technicians sign this non-compete. And some of my non-negotiables with my technicians, they have to be insured. They have to have workman's compensation. They have to have a garage liability policy. They have to be a team player. They have to help others. They have to follow the procedures that we have established as a company. They have to respect my relationship with that body shop. They have to have an appreciation for the hard work that I put in year round to be able to put them in this shop, to be able to put this work in front of them. I had a tech earlier this year, I had a shop that called me up. It's a perfect example. It's a shop that I've, I've known for a long time, I'm friends with the owner, and he calls me up because he felt I needed to know something. This is what he felt I needed to know. He called me and he says, hey, the tech that you had in here, just so you know, all he did was bitch and moan the entire time he was here because of a hood that you wrote up. And he said that you never should have written this hood. Never should have written it. I don't know why he would have written this. You could replace this hood for much cheaper. This hood is too severe. I wrote a hood that was on the heavier end what the tech didn't know is that the body shop owner told me that he didn't want to fix it. He was too busy. He didn't have time. And the more we talked about it, I asked him to just get me a price on the hood. The more we talked about it, we knew that that hood was on back order. So the technician didn't know this. The technician just walked in and saw this smoked hood, a hood that I put a very good price on, okay? I think the hood, to fix the hood, I put about 12, I think it was 12 or $1,300 on the hood. So it wasn't like he was fixing it for free. He walked in and decided he was going to lip off all day and he was going to talk to this, this body shop owner 
making himself look kind of silly about how I never should have written it. And what that did was that undermined me. Luckily, it happened in a shop that I'm very comfortable with the owner. And it was somebody that called me because he thought the guy was a putz. He's like, you're putting this guy in your shops right now? This guy sat here and he badmouthed you all day. And I was like, ooh, all right, well, that's not very good. So I asked him. I said, well, let me ask you this. Did he fix it? <laughs> and he says, yeah. I said, did it look good? He said, yeah, looked really good. I said, so he could fix it. So I did right by you who didn't want to fix it. And I put a tech in there that fixed the hood and you're happy with it, right? And he said, yeah, I'm more than pleased with it. I said, so do you think that we did the right thing? You and I, you think we made the right decision on this? And he said, absolutely, without a doubt. I said, okay. So that was the end of that. And what I do is I make no. I make no every time that happens. And what that does is that technician goes to my hard list. And this is what I use. I have a hard call list and I have an easy call list. My hard call list is the technicians that every time I call them with a job, they give me more reasons why they can't do it than why they can. I have to hear their entire life story <laughs> about why they can't. Or I have to hear how I'm inconveniencing them. Or I have to hear about everything else that they've got to do. I get it. You've got other stuff going on. But when it happens every single time that I call you, over time, I move you to my hard call list. Because I prefer to play with the easy call list. The texts that are on my easy call list are the texts that I call up. I've got a, a service call I need you to handle. Or I've got a hail job that booked unexpectedly. Can you get there? And the easy call list are the guys that are like, absolutely. What do you need? When you need me there? Yeah, I can move some things around to be able to get there for you. Because these guys understand that I'm putting cars in front of them year-round in New York. And they have an appreciation for that. And they aren't busting my balls every time I call them for a service call or a hail call. So they have a right to turn down the work, but I have a right to not continue dealing with them. <laughs> right? Because I have my list of non-negotiables. But if the trend is this technician more times than not is giving me a hard time when I'm calling them to handle a service call, I have that that goes that flies in the face of my non-negotiables then. So as the business owner, I call them last or I call them less and less because I'm naturally, I'm going to gravitate towards the guys that make it easy on me to do business. The guys that make it easy on me to serve my clients. So they also have to be honest and ethical. They have to be good character guys. What I've found over time is that quality is the easy part for me. As I'm staffing shops, it's easy for me to find a fast or a high quality dent guy, okay? What it's much harder for me to do is to find an honest one or to find an ethical one. And our gold standard with DentSmart, I've said it time and time again, is getting asked back. And that includes me getting asked back, DentSmart getting asked back, not the technician. So if they're going in there and they're representing my company, we will get asked back. If they're going in there and they're handing out their own business cards, or if they're talking bad about us, or if they're um, you know, saying that they've been doing this a lot longer, or 
whatever. I had a technician that every time I used to send him into a shop, he would make sure that that shop knew that he trained me, that he trained me. Yeah, I trained Bob. Okay, well, I deal with Bob. So that's great that you trained him. But that's what he would do. And he would hand out his business cards. So I had to stop using him. And he was a decent guy. I'd known him for a long time. But I couldn't send him to the shops because every single time I sent him to one of my shops, he was trying to flip the shop on me. So I need to make sure that the subcontractor that I send in is working to make sure Dent Smart gets asked back. Not themselves personally. So the topic of non-negotiables allows me to be honest with myself. What am I willing or not willing to tolerate inside of my business? Identifying the non-negotiables helps me to identify what I truly want. It also allows me to provide clear expectations to those working for me and those that I work for. My non-negotiables are, I want to deal with a reputable body shop because I expect to get paid in a timely fashion. So when I'm clear on that, and my my clients know that, they know that's a very big non-negotiable for me. So they tend to pay me on time. They tend to pay me much faster. And we call this, inside of the warrior movement, we call this setting the frame. I am setting the frame that I choose to view life through. I create that frame. So I have a very specific idea of what my client looks like through that frame. What my personal relationships look like through that frame. And what it does is over time it provides better outcomes. By creating this frame we're planning, we're strategizing, and we're operating from an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mindset. Who do you choose to associate with? Who do you choose to do business with? Who do you choose to employ? Who do you choose to partner with? Scarcity, here's the thing about scarcity. Scarcity leads us to associating and doing business out of need, which I found usually, for me personally, leads to chaos. So by choosing to view your clients, your professional life, your personal life through the frame that you have set, through your non-negotiables. This allows you to plan and strategize and operate from an abundance mindset. And you'll find over time, operating with an abundance mindset is going to put you in a better position with your clients. And you're going to find that you're weeding out the clients that aren't good for you, that aren't serving you. You're weeding out the relationships that aren't good for you, that aren't serving you. So I'm going to leave you with this question today. The question is this, where in your universe do you need to establish your own list of non-negotiables in your business life? in your personal life. Identify the area, then list them out. Identify what is important to you. And once you have that list, put it into motion. And by weeding out the bad clients, weeding out the bad relationships, while securing the good, your business and your relationships 
will improve drastically. So that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. I'm rolling through Utica and uh, on my way east. So I hope everybody has an amazing weekend. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. I'd ask you if you connect with this message, if you would go into iTunes and leave me a review. Um, Those are very helpful for me. You can also find me at Robert E. Argyle on Facebook and The Robert Argyle on Instagram. You can also check us out. You can see the latest blog, which was kind of the inspiration for today's episode. You can see the latest blog that I put up at robertargyle.com. As always, if you have any feedback, I welcome to hear your feedback. I hope you're getting something out of this podcast because I know I am. As I've said in the past, these are um, it's kind of like journaling for me. These are very therapeutic for me, and it helps me kill some time on the road when I'm driving all over the countryside. I know the sound quality is probably not as good, as if I was sitting in my office, but um, these days it's uh, summer, it's busy season, and uh, I have to improvise. Feel free to shoot me a message at robert at robertargyle.com. And last but not least, if you connect with this message, if you could share it up, I would greatly appreciate it. So once again, thank you for listening to the Crush Hail Academy podcast. I am your host, Bob Argyle. Have a great day.